0: So today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. we read about um, the appointment of the 12 apostles and Jesus sending them out. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is God's Word. Please be seated. All
1: right. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. You did a great job pronouncing all those names. It was impressive. Um, yeah, and I am excited about all the missions uh, emphasis of this Sunday. And uh, we had a speaker, I remember, uh, last year who came, and uh, he talked about how really every Sunday is Mission Sunday, right? Uh, We have certain Sundays that we designate to highlight mission activity uh, in our church, but really, um, we are all sent to be on mission with Jesus, and uh, that really rang true with me, and um, so um, I'm, though, particularly excited about just hearing about the trips and just seeing what the Lord wants to do during this time, and Uh, how the lord might be stirring our hearts to really respond to his call and uh, so with that i'm going to just really ask us to go to the lord in prayer one more time and uh, let's ask the lord to just speak to us so please join me our father in heaven lord we thank you we hallow your name we praise you for sending your son your only begotten son jesus into this world and Lord, you so loved us that you gave your only Son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, you are the very wisdom, the righteousness of the very power of God. And Lord, through your humility, through your mercy, through humbling yourself and to the point of death on the cross, Lord, you have crushed and you've defeated the powers of Satan, and you are advancing your kingdom here on earth, and we thank you and we praise you that we've been redeemed by your blood. And Lord, I pray that um, even during this time, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, God, move us away from living for small things, small dreams, for self-centered pursuits and the things of this world. Lord, lead us away. Deliver us from those kinds of evil. And Lord, um, teach us, remind us, stern us what it means to live uh, zealously for your glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I met with a, uh, a leadership board of another church, Um, a little while back ago, and this is a board of about eight men and women, Um, and as we're talking about the needs of the church, uh, I asked this question, simple question to the board. I said, well, what do you think are the greatest needs of the church? What do you feel? And uh, each of them went, you know, one by one to just kind of discuss what are the challenges, what are the needs, and um, you hear these you know, very common kind of things. Well, you know, I think we need, we need more Bible studies. Uh, we need to, you know, we need to really just get rooted in the Word of God. We need to go into Scripture. And, um, you know, so we need maybe deeper Bible studies. And another person um, just talked about how, you know, well, we need, you know, kind of more vision. And this is kind of what, you know, this is what our church is lacking. We need direction and we need vision, those kind of things. And someone else, we need more. we just need to go back to fundamentals. Let's go back to the basics, right? Um, We need to be just grounded in what it means to be a Christian. But I remember uh, one particular uh, brother, and when it was his turn, he said something that really stuck. And it was probably the simplest thing that anyone had ever shared, but very memorable, and when he shared, he said, to be honest with you, I need to be reminded of why we're doing all this. Why, why are we doing this? Why, why are we doing all the Bible studies? Why are we doing church? Why are we, you know, why are we going through all of these things? He'd been serving on the board, sacrificially, very selflessly, uh, giving much of his time, his energy. It's not that he, you know, he loved the church, obviously. He was not apathetic to the needs of the church. But I just was struck, and I loved the simplicity. I loved his just honesty. I just forget. I, I don't know why we're doing this as a church. And it just kind of reminded me that life is oftentimes like this, that um, we get caught up very easily in the day-to-day. You know, we, we wake up, we scramble to get ready for work, we go to work, we pour out our energy, we're drained at the end of the day, we come back, we, you know, try to make dinner, we have family obligations, responsibilities, we're uh, we've got several other things we're trying to juggle, and um, there's just so many different distractions on the day-to-day level, so many things that we're giving our time, our energy to, and at the end of the day, it's, and then just the routine over, you know, day after day, week after week, it just kind of repeats itself in this cycle, this endless cycle, and We come to church, we worship, we do Bible studies, we have our fellowship, we have our Friday nights, we have, you know, all these different programs and activities, and we kind of go through these cycles, right? And then, of course, we have Mission Sunday. We have missions, you know, every once in a while, something a little bit different. But why? Um, Why do we do all of this? And I think that every once in a while, what we have to do is we have to just step back. And we have to look at the whole big picture of our life, and we have to look at the whole big picture of church, and we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing all this stuff? Because it's so easy to get caught up and to just forget. If I were to ask you, what gets you up in the morning, what would you say? What gets you up? And what drives you every day? What is it that you have that is such a burning, overarching vision and a passion and a centeredness to your life that you say, this is the reason why I wake up every single day. This is what gets me going week after week. This is what gets me going today. Is it work? I need to get my paycheck, I need to uh, make sure my investments, my financial, whatever, I need to make sure my, my future is safe and secure. This is what gets me going. Or is it family? You know, I, I love my family, I want to take care of my family, uh, um, I'm living for my family. Is that what drives us in life? I think mean, when Jesus saved us, He had something much, much bigger in mind than just going through the routines of our life. And he had this great picture of his kingdom that when he saved you and I, he didn't save us just so that we can go through the routines of life and just so that we can come to church and um, just kind of do the weekly church thing. And... You know, just kind of mindlessly, routinely sort of go through it so that we could enjoy our middle-class existence. He saved us for a much, much greater purpose. And it's called the Kingdom of God, the kingdom of God." And in this passage, in Mark chapter three, um, it's a simple passage, but they're just I just want to share with you just a simple message out of it today as we um, hear about missions and everything else but in this passage i just want to share with you a few three very simple things and what it is what it is that jesus actually calls us to as his followers as disciples as those of us who call ourselves followers of jesus in this world in mark chapter 3 verse 13 uh, mark records about Jesus, that he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Those whom he desired, and they came to him. They came to Jesus. And if you are sitting here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, The first thing that Jesus has called you to do, and the thing that he has called us, ultimately, all of us to, is to know him. To belong to Jesus. That he called us, and when Jesus calls, and this is, when Mark records that Jesus calls, this is tremendously freeing. Why? Jesus, if you look at the, people that Jesus calls here, um, all these names, right, Peter, James, John, um, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, all these people, Jesus doesn't call impressive people at all. Most of these people were very, very unimpressive. They were, um, in fact, oftentimes very foolish. They were very selfishly uh, ambitious. They were petty. They were prideful. Um, they oftentimes miss the point of what Jesus had to say. Uh, they, they were slow at learning, at getting things. And these are the people that Jesus calls to himself. And the way that he's going to win the world, right, is not, let me just find out who the brilliant, talented, capable people are. He calls people like you and I, right? Very unspectacular. Very unimpressive. In fact, oftentimes, slow hard, calloused, weak, filled with unbelief. And yet Jesus calls. And this calling is not, again, based on your goodness because you and I were great people, but it's based purely by his grace, his loving grace to call you and I into this relationship with himself. And this is tremendously freeing as you hear about missions, as you hear about these opportunities, some of you are thinking, you know what, well, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not one of these super Christians. I'm not, like, this great saint. Um, I'm just trying to, like, kind of survive, <laughs> you know? I'm just trying to kind of make it spiritually. I'm just, I'm just sort of skimming the surface a little bit, right? I'm, you know, I'm, who am I? I'm not anybody special. But, did, but Jesus didn't call special people to himself. He getting called impressive. By his grace, he takes people like you and I, and he forgives our sins, he loves us, he brings us into this relationship with himself, and then he empowers, he enables us to do things that you and I otherwise in ourselves would not be able to do. And this is a story of what he does with his disciples of these 12. And I want you to see that, that um, Jesus calls you based on his love. Even at your worst, that he loved you, willingly paid the price for your sins. But then as he brings you into this relationship to himself, Jesus, it says in verse 14, Mark says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that he might, or they might, be with him. That they might be with him. And when Jesus calls you, the thing that he's calling you to is not just simply to forgive you of your sins. It's not, okay, you know, I I get to go to heaven, my sins have been nailed on the cross, that's great. But he calls you to be with him, to pursue him in intimacy, to cultivate an intimate relationship, and to mimic his ways. When Jesus, as a rabbi, I mean, you know, when Scripture records this and he calls these disciples as a rabbi, the Jews and the disciples knew exactly what he was calling them to do because rabbis, as they call pupils to themselves or as a pupil goes to the rabbi it meant living with them and not just this classroom instruction let me write down these three four or five things and go home and practice it it meant I'm gonna be spending time living with this rabbi I'm not only going to ingest and absorb his content I am going to observe and mimic his life as well and this is the calling that Jesus gives to you and I Is not just to absorb more content about him, but to mimic him, to imitate him, to be with him. This is the calling of Jesus. And when we get up in the morning every single day, if this is not the passion of our hearts to be with Jesus and to say, Jesus, this day you've called me to mimic you, to follow you, to know you intimately then we're missing the point of what it means to be a Christian. This is the call of Jesus. Some of you are saying, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm just trying to hold on. I'm just trying to survive. I, how do I cultivate intimacy when, with Christ when, you know, I'm just drained. I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm weary, and I barely have enough energy to do my work, let alone spend more time in the Bible and praying and cultivating this intimacy and all that. But my question to you is, how can you survive without it? How can you survive without a close walk with Jesus? You can't. You will spiritually suck yourself dry. And I don't know how anyone can go in this world without a close walk with Jesus. Can't survive it. But this is what Jesus calls us to. And we have to fight the busyness. We have to remember what is it, what is it that gives us, what is it, why we're actually in this world. What, why is it that we actually live your life as a gift from God? To know Christ. But the third thing, Really quickly, I I want to share is Jesus says in verse 14, he says, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. But I want you to note note the phrasing here that Mark says. He says, Jesus says, the reason why I called you is not just simply to forgive your sins. I, I want you to know me. I want you to mimic me. But then he says that he might Why? Send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. The reason why Jesus calls you and I and then to cultivate this intimacy with him and this relationship with Christ and and we're coming to know him and to follow him is so that there's a greater purpose, this purpose clause, that he might send them out to preach to have authority to cast out demons. In Mark's gospel, this phrase, to be with Jesus, is to be sent out by Jesus. It's not simply that we enjoy good, deep Bible studies just for the sake of good, deep Bible studies. We don't come to fellowship just for the sake of meeting my spiritual needs and just for the sake of having a great time hanging out. Now, don't get me wrong. These are important means of grace. Bible study, fellowship, community, absolutely amen, yes. But Jesus had something much, much bigger in mind. he called together a community of Jesus followers into his kingdom, he has this vision, he has this picture to say that as you cultivate this intimate relationship with Christ, then he is going to send us out. Now, that doesn't mean that we all pack up our bags and go overseas, right? We all know that. Some of us say, well, we're Senders were not goers, which is totally legitimate. But if you're senders, then how are you being missional in your community? How are you being missional in your workplace, in your neighborhood? See, being a sender doesn't mean, okay, I prayed for you, and I've written a check, now I'm, I'm off the hook. It actually means that we, wherever we go, whether it's overseas or whether it's here, we see ourselves on mission with Jesus. And this is, by the way, what I'm sharing with you is completely throughout the Bible. Right? This is, I'm not coming up with this stuff on my own. This is nothing new. Right? Look at the nation of Israel. That God's called this nation of Israel to be a light among the nations. But um, last week, when we're, as we're going through the series on Galatians, right, why did, call Paul, why did God call Paul? Um, Galatians one says that God was pleased to call Paul, and then he used, and then the, the, Paul uses this phrase, in order that he would proclaim the gospel among the Gentiles in order that, right? He was pleased to save Paul to then use Paul to preach the gospel. This is what God called him to. Ephesians 2.10, we've been saved by grace. We love the idea of grace, but why? God has then prepared good works in advance so that we should walk in them. Jesus spends time with his disciples, investing in them. Why? Because he's going to die, he's going to rise again, he's going to send. He and then he's going to then enable them to carry on the work that he started in this world 2,000 years ago. Paul tells Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witness, these entrusted faithful men. It's all throughout Scripture. You just can't get away with it. You can't get away from it, right? But this is the mission. Now, if this is true, then what it means is this. If our Bible studies and community and fellowship and our discipleship is not actually resulting in greater mission in our lives than actually, we have to, then it's not true discipleship. We've missed the point. If the point is, was just so that I could feel better about my spiritual life, I just want personal flourishing, I want flourishing for those that I love, meaning my immediate family members, this is you know, and I'm content with that. Like, I have personal peace about my relationship with Jesus. We've missed the point. This is not what the kingdom of God is about. The word apostle here is the word sent one. Some of us would think, okay, well, I'm not an apostle. I'm not one of these 12. And it's true that there are no more apostles today as we would understand this word apostle but I would say that we are all called to be his disciples, and we, are, we cannot be true disciples unless we see ourselves as sent ones in this world. You and I, our discipleship with Jesus is not complete unless we see ourselves as those who are sent into the world to proclaim the gospel and to serve with compassion. Proclaim the gospel and serve with compassion. When Jesus commissions these 12, he's saying preach this gospel, but then heal the sick. Go demonstrate the love of Christ. Use all the things and resources that God has given Demonstrate the love of Christ, and then to proclaim and share what this good news of the kingdom is. I want to just conclude uh, with this um, with this one uh, thing that John Piper said. This is, he, on May twenty on May twentieth two thousand, John Piper preached a sermon to a whole new generation of young people. Thousands who are sitting on this, you know, big grassy area. And he challenged a fresh new generation to pursue God in his kingdom plans to rebel against the status quo that the world teaches you and I to live in. You know, just, hey, just live for your dreams, live for your own uh, middle-class existence. This is, this is the status quo, right? Um, but live for spiritual mediocrity. And he challenged this young generation. And he says this, I, I will tell you what tragedy is. He says, um, I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. That's a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice car, A nice house, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. Collecting shells is the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a nice swing and look at my boat. And this is what he calls tragedy. And I want to... I want us to really open our hearts today. What is it that we are truly living for? What is it that makes us wake up day after day? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why have we been given this one precious life to live that goes by just like that? Very short. And what are you and I doing to make the most of a life, one life that God has given us, for the expansion of his kingdom here on earth, for his glory. What are we doing with all our hearts to pursue that kingdom vision? I want to challenge us. Don't sit passively back and watch your years just go by. Don't let life pass by while the kingdom of God is advancing all around you. In the meantime, we've built a nice kingdom for ourselves. Be part of something that's much greater than you and I, much greater than even our church. It's called the kingdom of God. And as we listen to these presentations, I want you and I to genuinely say, Lord, you know, like the song we sung, sometimes we just sing the words. It's good to sing the words, even if your heart is not complete, like sometimes not completely there, but still good to sing it. But I want us to pray, Lord, how are you leading me? Where do I need to follow? What do I need to do to step out of my complacency, my spiritual mediocrity, and where do I need to follow you? I'm sick of living small dreams, sick and tired of it, and I, need, I want to follow something much greater. And so I actually asked Jeremy to come up. He's, gonna, he's about to um, go on a three-month mission trip, and um, I want to just share his story and we're going to hear some other presentations as well but um, i'm i'm really proud of jeremy i'm so um i'm so happy to see that he took a year off after high school and there's uh you know to say hey let me catch a vision of god's kingdom before maybe i pursue college or whatever it is that god has for in the future but let me pursue let me let me catch something much greater than just you know going to school or whatever I mean, it's nothing wrong with going to school, right? But anyway, yeah, I'll just let Jeremy share. So go ahead.
2: Yeah, so um, in high school, I was pretty unsure of what I wanted to pursue after, um, like what I wanted to study um, in college. Um, But I knew for a very long time that God had given me the passion to serve on missions, um, whether it's locally or out of state. Um, And through serving on various mission trips, whether it's going to El Cajon, feeding the homeless, or even going overseas to China or Panama, God has really shown me how much the unreached people need Christ in their lives. And... Not only that, but also showing me how I can be the one to go and share the gospel to them. And so that's eventually how I decided to take this gap year to devote my time to Christ. I figured, why wait until I have like, stability, good job, when I can just go now without any worries? Um, so yeah, that's how I decided to go on this mission trip. Um, just some... Prayer requests I have, though, are that God can really reveal if He wants me to pursue missions long term in the future, and that really my relationship can strengthen with Christ as I learn to humble myself and depend on His will as I am evangelizing. Um, Just like Pastor David always says, um, it's my job to take the initiative, but just having faith that God is the one to change lives.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So why don't we uh, pray for Jeremy and um, see so prepares and um, yeah, God has exciting things in store and I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we want to send you off as a church. Uh, with full blessing, and um, more importantly, with with God's grace upon your life. So let's pray for Jeremy. Father, we are so thankful for Jeremy. God, we thank you for your work in his life that you called him to belong to Jesus. You saved him from his sins. You died for him, and Lord, you are, Lord, um, calling him in your leading him, Lord, to, take out, uh, to go out and take these steps of faith. Lord, he doesn't know fully what lies ahead, and that's okay. You don't reveal all the steps or all the details ahead. But I pray, Lord, that you would, day by day, be his daily strength and grace, and that, Lord, through Jeremy, um, you might really show forth uh, the love of Christ and that, Lord, um, as he takes the steps out, Lord, I pray that you would show him um, in due time what, you, what plans you have for him in the future, Lord. But, Lord, uh, would you just be with him and, uh, as he takes the step now and go before him as you, you will be with him. And, Lord, through this time, I pray that his heart would be drawing closer to you, uh, to know you and love you, and then to make Christ known, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I love the fact that um, earlier in the service, we had a team that went out, right? They were in their 60s and 70s, and you know, now we have Jeremy, and I love the fact that no matter what age you, are, you and I are, are at, uh, we never like Right? It's not like, oh, Jeremy, well, of course he's young. No. Um, whatever age we're at, we're called to be on mission is so, so long as we have life and breath in this world. And we have to fight against complacency. And We have to, we have to ask the Lord for courage and zeal day by day right? to be gospel witnesses. But anyway, um, I'm going to invite the other STM trips to come up as well and share. We have four uh, trips that we are leading our church out to this uh, this year, and uh, would you just really open your heart to what the Lord wants to say uh, as these the presenters come up? And uh, so, who's who's first? All right, thank you, Addison.
2: Hi, everyone. So this year we're going to go back to East Asia for. A short-term mission in the summer. Um, similarly to like the previous two years, um, we're going to be uh, engaging with youth and teaching English and just having time to fellowship with them and just yeah, really help them with just having fellowship together and really encouraging that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hi, Oh, if you can understand, so you can join the Taiwanese uh, short term mission trip this year in the summer. Uh, We are doing a bilingual uh, VBS there. We'll do uh, two times. We'll go to uh, the southern part of Taiwan and I uh, will do uh, the first uh, team we will do it in Dalin and then we will go to uh, the other three city we separate two uh, different cities in the uh, southern Taiwan we will go to Hualien, Jiayi and Wugu and that means we'll do the VBS two times during the trip in two weeks so uh, we're looking for someone like you can speak uh, English and also understand a little bit Chinese, Mandarin, or Cantonese. And, uh, and we're especially looking for someone healthy, healthy enough to deal with the hot and humid weather in Taiwan in that uh, period of time. So just think about it. Uh, if you can uh, join the VBS, we, uh, uh, we can share the gospel to the local people. Thank you.
4: We are very thankful to the Lord for opening the door for CFC to be in, to partner with Operation Mobilisation, a mission organisation that works with the Dalit people in India. Dalits are excluded from the four caste system in of Hinduism, Hinduism in India, and the Dalits are known as the outcasts in the society. So they are considered modern day slaves they're indebted to moneylenders. they're deprived of uh, basic human rights and services so few of the children are able to go to school and we're thankful that the good shepherd schools are providing an education in english for the children so the ministry will be among children uh, students from grades five to eight and we'll be communicating in english uh, with them and there are opportunities for church ministries as well So what we are looking for, the team will be going out in in the fall, either September, October. And we're looking for people with ready and willing hearts to reach out and serve their Dalits. And also praying that we have a perspective, a view of the Indian culture through the gospel lenses. So if you're interested, please come by the patio. We have a table and you can find out more about the trip. Thank you.
5: I don't think I have any fancy slides, but I made a a board over there if you want to go outside and check it out. Uh, I spent a lot of time doing it, but uh, as Agnes shared earlier, well this is really loud, as Agnes shared earlier about her trip, we've had experiences going to Kyrgyzstan, and I'll be leading a team in Kyrgyzstan June 1st to the 15th, so about two weeks. If you're interested in coming, please come and see me outside and we can talk. Um, But there's a history of the Kyrgyzstan uh, for, for centuries, uh, foreigners have ruled the Kurds and imposed their, their foreign religions upon them. Uh, Christianity is sadly associated with the occupiers and those who slaughtered Kurds, uh, the Kurd people and their ancestors. So we don't have a good relationship a lot of times. Um, there's been a resurgence of, of Muslims. There's about 4,900,000, almost 5 million. Uh, Muslims that pertain to most of the religion there. There's only 5,500,000 500, uh, in the population. So around 80 to 90%, around 90% of them are Muslims. The, ma- the vast majority of Kurds are culturally Muslim. But practice and understanding of Islam is low. So they consider, some, consider themselves Muslim, but they're very ed- not very educated in what that means. But practice it. Uh, Northern Kurds are more Russian-influenced, but Southerners are more, more traditional and Islamic. Muslim missionaries from several nations seek to strengthen to purify Islam in the area. Around 2,000 mosques and prayer rooms were built between 2000 and 2005, so within five years they built all these buildings and places of worship, um, mostly funded by foreign money. The close association with kirk's cultural identity and islam makes becoming a christian very difficult decision to make so one of the things that we're going to go do is we're going to do vbs Uh, i've led teams on missions before and we've done a vbs and i always feel that these are this is a great time to go and to teach um, students young students christianity that they're able to sit and learn and listen. We're gonna go with, we're gonna, this uh, trip is gonna be English speaking only. Uh, we're gonna, uh, there's another team that's going to Kyrgyzstan, not to be confused with that one. Uh, that one's Mandarin speaking only, and then we're gonna be doing English. But I want you to continue praying for this time. Maybe, uh, I know it's two weeks, and many of you work or go to school, but to, to maybe set aside some time and work things out so you can go overseas. The, the We're gonna be primarily in the city. Um, and so it's not, it's not going to be too unfamiliar for you. But we definitely know that there's a need uh, for Christianity in this area. And we're hoping that you would take set aside time for that. And just to be in prayer, even if you don't go, but I would love to, if you can pray and partner alongside with us uh, when we go. Every time I go on mission trips, I always feel that, you know, uh, Satan is working against us because he is. But I always feel that I, I always remember that people are praying for us and, and helps us to remember God at all times and gives us strength to continue on. So I want to encourage you guys to, um, to partner with us when we go to Kyrgyzstan. So please come outside and, and ask questions. Thank you.
2: Our school is named after a woman who has helped thousands of children all around the world, Bertha Holt. But most people just called her Grandma Holt. Bertha Holt lived here in Oregon and was known for being kind to everyone around her. She especially loved children. One day Bertha and her husband Harry saw a movie about children in Korea who had lost their parents in the Korean War. These children didn't have any family to take care
5: of them. Bertha wanted to do something to help because a family was what these children needed most of all. Bertha and Harry decided to adopt eight children from Korea into their family. They believed that every child deserves a loving home. Other families saw that what Bertha and Harry did and wanted to do the same. In 1956, they started Full International so they could help more and more children
6: find love and family.
1: Today whole International works in 13 different
2: countries helping children and families stay healthy and stay together.
4: All around the world there are kids just like us who can't go to school, don't have enough to eat, and even get separated from their families.
6: Let's help kids just like us who live early. usually the one that shares I'm his wife Pam and Frank has been a goer and sender for decades and we've gotten to visit uh, many communities that have benefited from Holt child sponsorship and we came home from our last trip and sponsored more children because we saw firsthand the life-saving difference that sponsorship makes and there's no other way that we've seen that's so simple, yet so dynamic, and is available to most all of us, right? I I think everyone here is probably a person that could sponsor a child for $34 a month. And I do hope you'll come back to the whole table and look at some of these kids. There's little girls like Jung, from Korea who was abandoned. And for $34 a month, you could sponsor her while she's waiting to be adopted by a Christian family. And as soon as she's adopted, sponsorship ends. But you supply her life-saving needs, like formula and, and diapers and a loving, uh, a loving foster family to care for her in the meanwhile. Or there's uh, kids like Son whose father died, his mom went to another country to work. And can you imagine, we've got kids that are 8 to 14 being the head of household. And I just want to share a, a short quote from Johnny Carr, why your help for these kids is so critical at this time. The 153 million orphaned and vulnerable children worldwide Guarantee a continued market from which human traffickers can draw. For children living outside of families, there's no one who will even know they're missing. No moral outcry, no legal search, and likely no one who even cares. We know God cares. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that encourage us and command us to care for the poor. James 1:27 says pure and undefiled religion is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And there's other verses that go on that tells the the life-saving needs of these poor, but also it changes us. Jeremiah tells us when when you care for the poor it that's how we get that's how we know him better. So please come back to the table. Um, just to reiterate, Pastor David, Ephesians two ten says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. So I, I hope you'll come back to the missions fair, decide to go on a trip, and sponsor a child. Thank you so much. God bless you.
0: Okay,
1: you guys feel excited to go to sponsor? Uh, I hope so, Um, you know, I, yeah, I just a simple story, you know, the the chat that we sponsored through Holt uh, just was sharing um, that, you know, she just got picked up for permanent adoption this May, and I had mixed feelings, it's like, oh, like, I'm so glad this is the hope, but I I kind of bonded through the pictures and the updates, you know, (laughs) I felt attached to her. But anyway, um, you know, please think about you know, how you can be part of this global work. And even locally, we have opportunities with Kairos, with uh, campus uh, ministries, but there's all kinds of opportunities. But this is what you and I were created for, right? This is why Jesus saved us. Not just so we could go to heaven. No, he saved us for something, you know, far, far greater for the kingdom of God here on earth and eternity. So think about that. And I want to leave you with this last verse. Why don't we uh, rise for the benediction? And um, the writer of Hebrews says this. If any of you are ever feeling, ah, I can't do that. I can't step out. You know, I just, or whatever. No, that's not true. That is not true. Here's the truth. Hebrews 13 says, Now may the God of peace who bought who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, uh, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the truth. This is the truth. God, the great shepherd of the sheep, Equips us to do everything that is pleasing in his sight. Father, we praise and we thank you for your great mercy and grace in our life. We thank you for the love of Christ that's been given to us. And Lord, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enable us, uh, even though we're timid and weak by ourselves, your spirit enables us to do things that we otherwise cannot do. You've not given us a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and sound mind. And would you equip us to do everything that's good and pleasing in your sight? We ask this in Christ's name, amen.